Welcome back to Bleacher Brawls, the home of the greatest rivalry in professional sports between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. This is your Sunday night, Monday morning rivalry show where we talk about both teams. We have the normal Sunday night, Monday morning crew here tonight. My name is Pat. I'm hosting Luke and John talking about Red Sox and Yankees respectively. You know, you would think in an off season where not much has happened so far that we wouldn't have a lot to talk about. Well, Brian Cashman has given us a lot to talk about, and Luke has given us a lot to talk about. Uh, so we will have a full show here tonight, folks. I'm going to start, as always, with the segment we call First Pitch. Checking in with these guys, see how they're doing. Luke, I have evoked your name, so I will go to you first. Uh, give me your first pitch. Uh, well, it's uh, Boston and New York sports fans are both in very similar places in a couple different sports right now, like the Red Sox and the Yankees, both completely mediocre and the Patriots and the Giants are both awful. Like perhaps the two worst football teams in the NFL. So as a sports fan, there's really not, for my part, there's really nothing, not much to get excited about for the first time in years. I mean, there's the Bruins and the Celtics, but I'm way more of a baseball football guy. I always have been. So uh, it's it's a little rough being a sports fan in the Boston and New York area right now because the, the New York New York the Jets are the Jets are hopeless too because they don't have Aaron Rodgers so it's it's not the best time to be a sports fan. Luckily, we have so many streaming services out there, so there's plenty of stuff to watch if you're bored. But uh, not not doing that great. Mac Jones may have thrown his last pass as a Patriot uh, today, and it was about the worst. As bad a way to finish your career with a team as you can get. And I think both of these teams are going to have new coaches and new quarterbacks next season. So that so it should be an interesting NFL offseason, too. John? Well, I think uh, I for so many years, I thought Belichick was really the genius. And it was all Belichick. And it's amazing that it turned out to be all Tom Brady and that Belichick was basically a fraud. I thought there's no way he can screw up Mac Jones, and he managed to find a way to do that. So this has just been fantastic. Uh, Brady, most people really just aren't going to go down remembering Tom Brady as winning a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And any memories of Tom Brady as a Patriot are really just going to be losing Super Bowls to the Giants, you know, blowing, going 18 and 0 and then losing in the Super Bowl. So, and Belichick's just tarnishing his legacy day by day. And I don't think the Giants are getting a new coach. I think Dable's going to have another year. The Giants have been in that cycle of, you know, new coach every two years and it's been a disaster. And I think they're going to give Dable a little bit more time. Like either he's going to get a chance to fix this thing, but uh, that seat is getting a bit warm. Now, my first pitch, uh, I was just going to go right into the uh the Red Sox Rangers uh comparison that Luke has that he wrote on bleacherbrawls.com it's amazing. I won't hijack that yet. I'll let Pat segue into the the segment. So I will just address last week when we had this discussion where um well, you know, my head almost exploded. I think Luke has pointed that out multiple times and he's got a good point because if there is this level of frustration where you're not dealing with sanity and logic if you guys ever seen that meme of there's a group of people in a pool and they're all swimming in their own pee and they're all pointing and laughing at the one guy who isn't swimming in their own pee, 
that's what I felt last like last week. The guy that wasn't swimming in his own pee, and the guy swimming in his own pee was laughing at me. So with that, Pat, there's your segue into our next segment. I mean, I I feel like you've you've uh, uh, done a good job. So uh, we talked about this a little bit last week on the show, and um, and uh, John got to watch himself, um, you know, bust steam through his ears on TikTok a couple of days later. Uh, where Luke, in the days after the Rangers winning the World Series, went, well, they, they're exactly like the Red Sox, <laughs> and started to give us a, a, a player-by-player breakdown. And he was so chuffed with this idea and so proud of himself that he thought that he would dedicate his entire column last week to the comparison, going player-by-player, player and saying how the two teams are built exactly the same. I, I won't go through it uh, uh Exactly because not only was a lot of it brought up last week, but we're going to talk about it for a little while here. But some of these comparisons, he's, he puts Corey Seager and Rafael Devers next to each other. He puts Adolis Garcia and Tristan Casas next to each other. Uh, he puts uh, Evan Carter and William Abreu, which I think is probably the best comparison uh, in the whole thing. Uh, Simeon next- and Story. Yes. Garver um, and Duval. I can't wait to get into that one. So, so Luke, um, I'll go to you first. Uh, you're sitting there watching the World Series, and and you're thinking, you know what? This makes me feel better about the Boston Red Sox. Uh, yeah, well, not in the World Series. I mean, this was about halfway through the year. When I uh, going into the year, I didn't think, I didn't expect anything from the Rangers really I thought they made bad signing I thought DeGrom was a horrible signing and that was going to go bust and then he got hurt I was like all right just wait and see I had vastly underrated how much how how many really good young players they developed developed slash acquired from other teams they have I mean seven guys in their lineup are are cheap for the next few years and really contribute a lot. And Seager and Simeon are the workhorses for the most part. But then there's Garcia, and then there's everybody in that. the rest of that lineup is good. So, I mean, look, they're both teams that prioritize development at the cost of short-term success for a few years. We've seen the Rangers were bad for a few years, for several years until this year. Uh, pretty much from the time they lost in the World Series in 2015, maybe? No, 2014? Something like that. Um until now, they were terrible. The Red Sox have underachieved for the last few, have been bad for the last few years, not signed, not committing to long-term contracts while they're, you know, taking a step back, uh, knowingly taking a step back so they could develop players, not committing long-term contracts uh, until they see what they can use, what they can use from their system uh, in the major league team. Both teams can develop positional talent, but can't develop pitching. Dane Dun- the Rangers have Dane Dunning. The Red Sox have Brian Bayo. Neither team really has anything of quality that they've developed from the starting pitching side of things. And they have to see the Rangers had to go outside the organization to get their to man their uh, starting pitching staff. And the Red Sox are going to have to do the same thing uh, this offseason. They have a few guys the Red Sox do for the rotation, but neither none of them are one or two starters, at least at this point. Um, the Rangers won 68 games in 2022 and won the World Series this year. The Red Sox won 78 games in 2023. After adding two starting pitchers in the offseason, where will they be, they be in 2024? I think, you know, seeing what the Rangers did this year, 
makes me feel good about that and that it's possible to make that kind of that kind of change uh that kind of improvement uh if you get the right pieces if you have already done the developmental work uh on the front end of things um i won't i'll i, I mean i guess i'll stop from here i have more i want to say mostly on the adolis garcia and tristan casas um comparison because that was what made john lose his mind because he well he looked at the stats for a few minutes then he goes whatever i don't care so i mean maybe now that he ha- he's had a week to kind of to kind of get his blood pressure under control that he can you know actually look at things from a somewhat um i don't know about object yeah i guess somewhat objective somewhat sane uh point of view go ahead john it's all you I think it's really ironic that we're in a few minutes. We're going to, or probably a lot more than a few minutes, knowing me how long Luke and I can talk. Luke's going to make fun of Brian Cashman for saying he thinks the Yankees are pretty damn good. And on the same day, well, something along those lines. And on the same day, Luke drops an article explaining why the red, the last place Red Sox are just like the world series winning Texas Rangers. Like, look, Luke really skims over the whole pitching thing. All right. Yeah. There's, lineup comparisons sort of we can get to that but you really skim over pitching because the fact that pitching is what tears this uh comparison to shreds the rangers went all in on pitching this year and they handed out they did it by handing out bad contracts or huge contracts anyway long-term high money contracts and trading prospects to stockpile pitching which is what they did they stockpiled pitching there's a lot of different pitchers that made starting that started games for the Rangers this year and they cobbled together a pitching staff through the season through long-term contracts bad long likely to be bad long-term contracts if not bad already and trading prospects two things you've repeatedly said you don't want the Red Sox to do you don't want to trade all your prospects you don't want to hand overpay for pitching but you're going to have to overpay for starting pitching if you want to bring starting pitching in if you can't develop starting pitching you have to overpay for it to bring it in and to call out your fraudulence even more, nobody listening follows our group chat. Pat, you're here, and I wish I brought Joey on. I didn't even think of that till now. Anyone following the group chat during the World Series knows that Luke repeatedly mocked the Rangers bringing in Max Scherzer and said how horrible it was, what a bad move it was. Look, Max Scherzer made eight starts, went four and two, and helped it them was. get into the playoffs. It was. it was bad in the playoffs, but it helped them get to the playoffs. It wasn't well, a who bad cares about deal. The playoffs, right? It, Oh, well, it, it does matter. They won, won the World games. Series. Okay. And, and, and it's your turn to stop interrupting now, all right? It's your turn to stop interrupting. Okay, Max Scherzer came in and helped them get to the playoffs. It was a good deal. It did help out the Rangers get to where they needed to be. Uh, to call it out even more, the Red Sox had Nathan Evaldi. Luke didn't want Nathan Evaldi back. So one of the pitchers that, again, helps him, comes up big throughout the season in the playoffs. Luke didn't even want the guy when the Red Sox had him. Uh the Red Sox had Perez a couple of years ago. Martin Perez, Martin Perez. Is that is Martin Perez a $20 million pitcher? I mean, he was on the Red Sox. I don't think so at any point. Red Sox, the Rangers just paid him $20 million to come in. Uh, Andrew Heaney, for the first time in his life, lived up to his potential, sort of. And everyone thought that was going to be a bad signing and probably still will. Uh, John Gray is getting about $60 million over the next four years and didn't make a postseason start. So the Rangers just kept throwing money at a problem. They kept throwing prospects at a problem. That's what helped get them there, which is something you've repeatedly said you don't want to do. So which of the two is it? And 
here's where it cut. Here's the other part where your fraudulent shows. If these teams are so close and you thought halfway through the season, they were very similar teams. Then how come Heim Bloom didn't do anything at the trade deadline? How come he didn't bring in the pitching that the Rangers did bring in at the trade deadline? Um, if these teams are so similar, then maybe Heim Bloom deserved to get fired because he didn't know what he had and didn't make the run when he had, if they had the same lineups, why not go out and get the pitching as well? Which is something he didn't do at the beginning of the season and he didn't do at the middle of the season. Uh, and like said, if this team really was good enough, uh, or if this team really wasn't good enough, I should say, which you said repeatedly every time anybody killed Bloom at the trade deadline, you said this team wasn't good and wasn't worth investing. And now suddenly they're just the same as they have the same lineup as the Rangers. So I, I'm absolutely completely befuddled and confused by the way you're going back and forth on this. And I have way more to get into too, but let's stop there and let you respond to that. Sure. So, I, I mean, yeah, we've talked about it over and over again, but I've given my answers over and over again, and you keep asking the same questions. If this team was so good, Luke, why didn't Heim Bloom add the pitching? It's, look, they're similar. They're very, there's a lot of similarities, mostly with the offense between the two teams, but philosophically and the genetic makeup of their team, it's very similar. It's not exact, exactly the same, because the Rangers got a two-year head start on the Red Sox. They were, I mean, when the Red Sox were... You know, in the ALCS in 2021, the Rangers were already a year or two, well, a few years deep into prioritizing, you know, development, development, development. We're going to we're going to be bad for a while. So they didn't start spending until they didn't start spending until really spending big until they got Seeger and Simeon before 2022. So and you said. Well, Texas, Texas, they they put out a lot of bad contracts, and that's why they. Are you saying they won the World Series because they 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 ponied up some bad contracts for pitch for pitchers? That's what it seems like you're saying. So I'm saying uh, there were bad contracts. Like those contracts are going to look horrible in the future. Like sure they worked right. this year, but they right. are going to look horrible in the future. I think we can all agree on that, right? Which right. is something and you I said don't... you don't want the Red Sox to do. But it's like I. I don't agree with – so I'm saying I love what the Rangers did developmentally speaking. They spent money on pitchers. So philosophically, that's what the Red Sox have to do. They, But they made – the Rangers made bad decisions on pitchers. They they threw a bunch of money at Jacob deGrom. Everyone knew that was a horrible idea. That was why I was like at the beginning of the season, like the Rangers are screwed because they got – they signed Jacob deGrom for five years. That's going to really hurt them, like not even down the line right away. And he did. He He started eight games, I think. For them this year, horrible move. So, so, and the the other starting pitcher they got was Nathan Avaldi. It did great this year, but he's Nathan Avaldi, so he missed a good six weeks of the season. And so they didn't have Degrom, they didn't have Avaldi, and then at the deadline they had no choice; they had to get more pitchers. They got Jordan Montgomery. They had to give up. Uh, I don't know what they gave up from for Montgomery. Uh, they they got Max Scherzer. I think they gave up. They they gave up a couple good prospects for Scherzer I didn't love the Evaldi signing because of his injury history I didn't like the Scherzer I didn't like trading for Scherzer just because I don't think you can depend on him I mean anyway it's I, I agree that I mean I said both teams have to spend their money on pitching the Rangers had to spend their money on pitching because they didn't have any in-house the Red Sox will have to do the same thing I don't want the Red Sox to sign injury risks I want them to make better decisions with the starting pitching in the offseason so that they don't have to trade for more pitchers at the deadline. If they have to make additions at the deadline, I think they will now. 
Um, and the, as far as the Heim Bloom, I mean, I've said over and over and over again, yeah, the Red Sox weren't as weren't good enough to be trading away assets for starting pitchers because they were not a good enough team at that point. I'm, I didn't say they were as good as the Rangers were this year. In 2023, the Rangers and the Red Sox were the same team. I'm saying they have a lot of similarities, and but and they're made the same way. Like, they have the same makeup, pretty much. But the Rangers got a head start on the, Reds, on the Red Sox. They were already at the point where, all right, we got all the offensive pieces we need. Let's spend on pitching. And they didn't make the right moves in the offseason, but they were able to get enough going at the, get enough pieces at the deadline because they were there because they had enough firepower in the lineup. Mostly in the lineup, well, throughout the team really. Mostly because of how well they did developmentally speaking. But how many yeah, you want the Red Sox to make smart moves and signing free agent starting pitchers, but how many starting how many free agent starting pitchers over the past couple of years signed to anything more than like a three or four year deal? They all get hurt. You pay big money and then they end up getting hurt. We've said it repeatedly this season, starting pitching is just like these arms are waiting to explode. So you have to just stockpile starting pitching, which is what the Rangers did, which is great in the short term, but in the long term, it absolutely is going to screw them. Like for their team, for a team that's never won the World Series, that's great. For a team like the Yankees that are basically cursed, uh, it would be great to do something like that. But for if you're going to sit here and repeatedly say you don't want to mortgage the future, then you, like, which of the two is it? Because you're either going to have to stockpile starting pitching like the Rangers did, or you're just going to be constantly chasing your your tail like the Yankees have been these past couple of years. Like, it's going to be one or the other uh, I, I as far as starting underst- pitching is concerned. I don't understand what you're saying. Like, they yeah, they get hurt. Jacob DeGrom always gets hurt. So you don't sign a guy like Jacob DeGrom. You make a better signing but than that. I'm not talking about Jacob DeGrom. Like, that was bad. Everybody agrees that that was a right. stupid, like, move. But, like, Evaldi, for instance. Like, yeah, sure, he's going to miss a couple starts, but he's not going to miss the entire season like DeGrom. Like, that's just something like you get Evaldi because you know he can pitch in the postseason. You know he'll be there on and off throughout the rest of the season. And now you're just going to keep stockpiling pitchers and bringing pitchers in and making trades in order to – Get all those starts to get 162 starts and before you get into the playoffs. So that's what I'm saying. You're going like if you need to fix starting pitching through free agency and trades, you're going to be paying through the nose with money, long term deals, and prospects. I mean, I mean, maybe like if you get say you get Yamamoto who's 25, and then you get Aaron Nola who who's 30, but he's been a horse. He's started 32 games I think the past three or four years. Like, you know, there's a way better chance of them staying healthy than if you get DeGrom and Evolve. So if you make smart moves, then you don't have to necessarily stockpile them. You don't have to bring in. I think they should bring in two two really good starting pitchers and then maybe a third or something like that. You know, and if you get more injuries, you, you do what you got to do as the season goes on. But I, I don't think I don't I don't see the Rangers. I think the Rangers made a mistake getting DeGrom, and I thought they made a mistake getting Evaldi because he can't hold up over the season. I mean, that's great. They made the moves at the deadline. Um, You know, they were just going for one championship, so they were fine giving up what they gave up for Montgomery and Scherzer. But I think, um, I mean, yeah, if the Red Sox get starting pitchers that get hurt, that sucks. But, I mean, it's just, that's more of a, well, it didn't work out. They're not getting known guys who are known to get hurt for long periods of time every single year. 
You know, I don't think it's a matter of you got to stockpile pitchers because they're going to drop like less. Starting pitchers are getting hurt all the time now. Yeah. But you know Jacob DeGrom's going to get hurt, and you know Nathan Avaldi's going to get hurt. So you can make smarter decisions so you're not in that situation. I think you're going to be signing Aaron Nola at 30 years old, having pitched, you know, made 30 starts or whatever. I think, yeah, you might get a season or two without injury, but you're eventually going to get there. And I think same thing Yamamoto. Like, as much as I'd hope the Yankees get him, I do think he's going to the Mets. Uh, you, we've historically seen Japanese pitchers come over here, and because of the difference in the ball, the difference in the scheduling of days they pitch, you know, injuries happen. So it's starting pitching. And it's, I think every single right now, based off the way this past season went, I feel like starting t- pitching is always is just a ticking time bomb until proven otherwise. And maybe that's just going to be the difference in philosophy here is where I'm just going to be gun shy of all starting pitching from this point forward until I don't know they adjust the pitch clock maybe. No, I, God, mini Joey. No, I, I under, I agree with that. Like any starting pitcher, you sign to a big contract, especially someone who's Nola's age. You're gonna be like, well, how long can they get out of him? But that is just, you know, that's the cost of doing business now. Uh, it's totally different when you're 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 banking on Jacob Degrom, and then your number two that you get is Nathan Avaldi, and that's great. It worked out for him. I like Avaldi. Like that's great that he got better in time for the playoffs. But you knew he was going to get hurt for a long period of time. And the Rangers struggled. They barely they they limped into the playoffs. That you know they were able to keep it together enough to get stay in the playoffs, and they and they got hot at the right time, and it worked out for him. Great, but. I think you got known injury risks that you get, at least if you get Yamamoto and say trade for Mitch Keller or something like that, you're getting younger guys that are not, uh, you're not like, well, these guys are just going to get hurt. It's a matter of what. I know if anyone listening, uh, Pat is still here, believe it or not. Um, we'd love to hear what you have to say on this. Please feel free to talk for a while. It's your chance. Well, listen, as much as I would love to pipe in, I'm going to really just hit you with one thought, and then we got to move on because we're a third of the way through our agenda and a third of the way through our runtime. But I will say, completely separate from Luke's thought, I was thinking during the World Series, not back in you know May or whenever when, when Luke claims he came up with this, I was thinking a couple weeks ago watching Jose Leclerc and Josh Spores pitch in damn near every game for – uh, uh, Texas in the World Series, or the playoffs in general. I felt like every time I looked up, it was one of those two guys. It was definitely giving me Chris Martin and Kenley Jansen vibes. <laughs> Just like we have our two guys, we're going to ride the hot hand and they get to go golfing next week. So, like, we are just going to burn them into the ground. Um, and so I think that's your, you, what you need is you need the long, the, the, um, the long inning arms. Uh, and then you hope that you get to those guys back into the bullpen. Um, I am going to move on, however, because I've been just chomping at the bit for the past week to talk about this, this Yankee stuff. John, John, you said that Cashman said, I think we're pretty damn good. Uh, he did not say that. This is a family-friendly show, so I'm not going to say what he actually said. Uh, but what he actually said was, I think we're pretty effing good. That was the first thing that came out of his mouth. In this press conference, that's that was his opener. Okay, this is a team that barely finished above five hundred. They had like a good like last week of the season and 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 got themselves over the hump. This is the worst team in thirty years. The worst team um, in uh, Cashman's tenure. 
and a team that hasn't made the World Series going on 15 years now. John, do you think that the Yankees are pretty effing good? You're muted. No, no, absolutely not. They're not pretty effing good. Brian Cashman should have been drug tested or given a breathalyzer on the spot. He couldn't have opened that press conference any worse. And it was just a complete embarrassment. That's what he's become. And it's just, as a Yankees fan, I don't defend this guy. I've never come on this show and defended him. I've said he's an idiot. And he is an idiot. And it's just proof again. He's stubborn. He refuses to acknowledges mistakes and then there's a few other things and you guys can rip them for this all you want but it's just it drove me insane to sit there and listen to him say talk about joey gallo like oh well joey gallo the dodgers wanted him and they made the playoffs and the twins wanted him and they made the playoffs well he was terrible with both those teams and i don't even think he's playing in the postseason uh he was just absolutely awful uh and to sit there to defend that move it was just I, I, how I, you can't defend it? It just made him look so stupid and petty. And the other one that just really blew my mind. And why would you even bring it up? Is where he talked about Sonny Gray. Well, like Sonny Gray was a really good pitcher in Oakland, came to New York and bond, and then left New York and got better. Why was that? Well, he went on the C two R two R two C two podcast or whatever that is, uh, Ruko and Sabathia's podcast, and said that. The reason why he struggled in New York was because they kept telling him, throw your slider, throw your slider. He's like, dude, I got six pitches. Like, I like to pitch like how I'm feeling that day with pitches feel strong. And they're like, no, just keep throwing your slider. And he said they just got into his head so bad that, like, he couldn't, like, he was really struggling. And when he got out of New York and they're like, I think they traded him to the Reds, right, was it? And the Reds were like, just pitch. Just go out there and pitch and be yourself. And he turns back into an all-star. So for Brian Cashman to reference Sonny Gray, like, dude, you guys screwed him up. And despite claiming that you don't have a very big analytics department, we know that's not really the truth. And you bring up a guy that you screwed up and got better when he left. It's just like somebody else take the reins from this one. Because I'm going to snap worse than I did last week if I keep going on about this freaking idiot Cashman and the dumb stuff that comes out of his mouth. I'll hop in here because, uh, like I said, I've been dying to talk about this. You know, um, the, you, you mentioned my favorite part, the Joey Gallo, Sunday Gray thing. I just, I've gone back and I've watched it over and over and over again. I got such a kick out of this because the point that he's trying to make is we can identify good talents. Okay. And I think that that's a sort of fair point to make. Like, it's not like we're bringing in nothing but schlups, right? We know good players when we see them, we're making the right moves. The thing that he just completely forgets about when he says that is, then why are they bad here? That is essential. It doesn't matter if they're good anywhere else. It matters if they're good in pinstripes. And those guys were terrible. I mean, Gallo was terrible for years. You know, a year and a half, something like that, right? And so he. He did that the entire press conference. He would always try and make a point, but then like completely forget the other half of what he's saying, which is like the actual problem. You know, one of the poor reporters asked him, do you feel like you have um, uh, an issue 
developing minor league talent because there has not been uh, uh, that evidence really on the major league team in years that guys who come through the system have performed well in the major leagues. And he said, Anthony Volpe just won a gold glove. <laughs> the, the guy just snapped back and he hit 200. You know, I mean, like there's always the flip side of the coin and that his his uh, um, unawareness of that is really what I got to kick out. I thought he represented the team awfully in that. And I felt like he, he said BS like 15 times in 20 minutes. He kept saying it over and over, the BS word, like the non bleeped one. Uh, and he he just he, he sounded bitter he sounded obstinate he sounded resentful of having to defend himself uh, i think he's probably got some resentment towards ownership for bringing in this zealous analytics group i think he hates the idea of them looking over his shoulder and that everybody maybe not necessarily resentful of the yankees bringing in uh consultants but the fact that the whole world knows it uh, and that they're that he's kind of made he's got the target on his back right now but mostly he sounded he sounded like a guy who knew he wasn't going anywhere who knew that he I can sit here I can say bs 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 and I can say no we're good uh we're pretty effing good uh I can say all this stuff and the the owner's not going to do anything to me about it because that would make Christmas dinner really awkward uh, because they're best friends, and like he's not going to deal with that. Like, well, I'm not going to fire him. Jeez, that'd be that'd be that'd be really uncomfortable uh, when our family see each other and stuff. Um, uh, so I think he'd only speak like that if he was sure that he, if he was sure that he wasn't going anywhere and he had a job uh, for the foreseeable future. He said the roster was better on paper than it played out, but you look at that roster and you're like, was it? Was it really? And, um, oh, he even said, if the owner wants to tag me out, he's welcome to. He was like, it was like he was daring um, Hal Steinbrenner. Said, yeah, fire me then. Fire me then. You don't like what I'm doing? Fire me then. Uh, it was just, and he cited pain points that the organization's experiencing that are a byproduct of his own poor decisions. Like, he talked about, like, oh, yeah, injury. Well, injuries aren't BS. Because like, the reporter's like, all right, what's BS? Like, all these bleeps. While you're listening to this sound file, all right, what's what was what was what was BS? And he goes, "Well, injuries weren't BS, that's for sure." But look at the injuries. Carlos Rodon was always getting injured before he paid before Cashman paid him. Harrison Bader was always getting injured before he traded Jordan Montgomery for him. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton. I mean, I guess you couldn't see that coming. He was an injury risk before he got to New York. But Luis Severino has been getting hurt his whole career, and then. He talked about players underperforming, and he actually mentioned Josh Donaldson, like his boy, his guy, like that, like his project that he's been taking shots for since he traded for him. Everyone knew it was a bad decision, and he underperformed. And he even cited that, saying, "Yeah, we got you know Donaldson didn't perform the way we wanted him to, and Lemayhew uh, uh, not performing. Like, well, you knew he had the foot thing, so maybe you should have gotten somebody uh, to back him up, and." He mentioned Frankie Montas, which there was a lot of questions around that signing too, which they only signed him because they couldn't couldn't get this Castillo. And he even mentioned that too. He said, we got Montas because we couldn't get Castillo. And it just, I just felt like every instinct he had during that 20 minutes was wrong. It, it went 
Luke and I watch, uh, you know, not to, we didn't watch it together, but around the same time when we watched the Brian Pillman Dark Side of the Ring, uh, Luke mentioned, I don't think that guy ever made a good decision in his life. Brian Cashman has not, it was the same thing, that 20 minutes, like anytime he had a chance to make a good decision, he chose to make a bad decision. That was brutal to listen to. And I, I think he's feeling, I think he's very resentful of the fans. Like, I think he knows the fans hate him. I mean, he got, like, he's been in that stadium. He's, he's gotten booed, like, at Joey, like, worse than Joey Gallo was getting booed. Worse than Josh Johnson was getting booed. Like, that, I don't know if you guys have ever, the past couple of years, like, when he's had to come out in Yankee Stadium and make an appearance, like, he gets booed. Like, it's bad he knows the fans hate him he knows what the fans think of him like we i've said it i think he's an idiot and most fans think he's an idiot and we could do his job better and i think he that press conference was him like taunting us like no this is my job you can't do my job i'm so much better like i know so much more than you and well you don't because there's so many other people that could come in there and do your job better um maybe 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 like most fans can't i obviously could but most fans cannot do his job better um i could but most fans couldn't but there's a lot of baseball executives out there that are probably there's probably a bunch of interns in major league baseball level that could do his job better so um it's just he was clearly uh, to me that press conference was him like really trying to address the fans like and uh, that's just another thing that just makes me sick. Like, this guy is so stubborn. He's so stupid. And now you're going at the fans. And like Luke said, he's not going to get fired. So there's nothing we can do about it. I thought one thing I thought was interesting was um, the way he said he, he, he went out of his way to say, you know what? Everyone says we are so dependent on analytics. We're too dependent on analytics. But we have the smallest analytics department in the league or one of the smallest analytics department in the league. Well, I mean, you look at the way your lineups are different. Your lineup changes every single day, every single day. So clearly you are analytics heavy. And so if you are very analytics heavy, then maybe you should hire some more people. If you have one of the smallest analytics teams in the league, then maybe you should hire a whole bunch more because the ones you have aren't, you're obviously very analytical, analytically driven as you probably should be. But the, I mean, but the results aren't there for you. So if you're going to be so analytic heavy, maybe don't have one of the smallest analytics departments in the league and certainly don't flex on the fact that you have one of the smallest analytics departments in the league. But that can't be true. Like, I don't know if that's true. Or There's some kind of disconnect here because a few years ago, I think it was Bob Clappish wrote a book called All Roads Lead to October about the Yankees where Brian Cashman was interviewed and quoted in this book talking about like how analytics driven they are and how this great analytics department they have. So like two, like, I don't know, around 2020 or 2019, whatever, you do this whole book about how great you are and how smart you are and like you're quoted and it's saying how this great analytics department you have. And now that you're catching heat for this analytics department being absolutely horrible, suddenly you don't have this big analytics department. So there, again, there's some kind of disconnect there where I don't know if he, maybe he downsized over the past couple of years and just didn't tell us, but I don't know how you go from a book a couple of years ago saying we have this great analytics, huge, great analytics department that delves so deep to now like, Oh no, no, we don't. And just this guy's full of it. He really mourned the loss of their third base coach to the Mets, too. You notice that? Uh, Mendoza being hired by the Mets. 
So and everyone was telling me, this guy's going to be a manager. Some, like, well, maybe you should have made him your manager and not stay with Aaron Boone for so long. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is he's like, he's always talking about like how great people are in other places, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Yeah, I, right. Like, I, he's such an idiot. This guy is such an. How yeah, do you yeah, do I mean, that? Mendoza's going to be a great manager. You know, like, well, then why did you let him go? I don't understand. Look how great Montgomery started in the postseason. Like, he pitched yeah, four right. innings for us in 2020 in the postseason. That was it. Look how great he is in the postseason for the Rangers. When Mike Maddox got a hold of him, man, he fixed that guy. Those reporters dropped the ball there because I didn't hear one question about Jordan Montgomery, and I, I don't know how they let that get by. That's almost like the least heinous of the offenses. I mean, at the time, I didn't think that the Montgomery um, – uh, I'm totally blanking. Montgomery, Harrison Bader, and I defended Harrison Bader. Thank yeah. you. Right. I don't think it was the craziest thing, especially because they were also apparently trying to get another starting pitcher from the Marlins at the same time. And that fell through. Like it wasn't, it wasn't Josh Johnson. Everybody instantly went, what? <laughs> you know? Um, and that was, he was just trying to get Gary Sanchez out of there at that point. So he's this, this sort of cycling through thing that he, he knows what good players are. We all know what good players are. We all watch baseball. You know, um, the the issue is, can they play well in New York? Can this New York team be any good when all these people suit up at the same time? And that's definitely the the problem right now. I knew training Montgomery was a bad idea. <laughs> okay, you were just hating on the Yankees. Um, you know, folks, we were supposed to play a game tonight, and. Uh, as soon as I transitioned off of the the Red Sox Rangers comparison, I got messages from both of these guys that said, "Can we go back?" And so we're gonna go back. I'm gonna go uh, do my taxes or fold my laundry or something. I'll just kind of let these guys go at it for the last twenty minutes because they have so much more they want to say. We'll push the game to next week. We were gonna have a, a fun fantasy draft that we'll do next week instead. Um. With that being said, if you are already exhausted by the Red Sox Rangers talk, uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and all the places you subscribe to Bleacher Brawls. Um, all right, fellas, go ahead. Whoever wants to jump in first, I don't care. Well, let me I'd let like me to... ask. Let me ask first one question. It's it, it's really not related to this. It is Rangers related though. So before I do, so it's for you too, Pat. Don't don't go fold your laundry just yet. Is what's your opinion? Quickly, what is your the opinion of both of you is: Are Adolis Garcia a superstar? Yes, I would say so. I would say now. Um, I think that his playoff uh, run, his really dominant playoff run, I think kind of cemented that. He's definitely one of the more fun, most fun players to watch. I think at the league at this point, and I think that that is uh, an essential part of superstardom. Yeah, I think he really took the next step, and it's a shame he got hurt in the playoffs. Because if he played every game in the World Series, I think it would have he would have had a couple more memorable moments, which would really cemented him there. Uh, if he, can... I think it would have been the World Series MVP. I mean, oh, I think yeah. that they kind of gave it to Seager because Seager was the best player on the team, you know. But and he obviously played well. It's not like he wasn't deserving or anything. But like, I think if he had played the whole time, I think it would have been Garcia. And, well, because he would have done more, too. He would have probably had more big hits, too, to build his case. But I asked this on X, as Elon Musk has named it for some odd reason. But I asked this. I, I put up a poll at Bleacher Brawl. Make sure you're following us if you're not yet. 
I asked, is Adalas Garcia a superstar? And we had 62 votes so far. There's still 16 hours left. Out of 62 votes, 31 people said yes and 31 people said no. It is exactly split at 50% to 50%. 50% say he is a superstar. 50% say he is not a superstar. Now, I'm not going to do what John probably thinks I'm going to do because Adolis Garcia was my Tristan Casas comparison in the column. I'm No, I am not saying that Tristan Casas is a superstar. So we'll start with that. And John, John wanted to go over the player comparisons. He wanted to give his opinion on those. So I'll just run them down real quick. My comparisons between the Rangers and Red Sox were Corey Seager and Rafael Devers, Adolis Garcia and Tristan Casas, Marcus Semien and Trevor Story, Jonah Heim and Connor Wong, Leody Tavares and Sadon Rafaela, Mitch Garver and Adam Duval, Evan Carter and William Abreu, and just for the depressing one, Jacob DeGrom and Chris Sale. So, John, feel free to give your thoughts. So I didn't have time to go over all of these, but I want to address the two more egregious ones on that list. They're all pretty much stretches and a bit egregious, with the exception of Sale and DeGrom. Um, but um, uh, but I want to address first off Marcus Simeon and Trevor Story. So I, I don't get it with Trevor Story how much you love and have faith in this guy. So this season, just to make sure this comparison's on point. This season, Marcus Simeon. 276, 29 home runs, 100 RBIs. Trevor Story, 203 average, three home runs, 43 games, begged to stay in AAA. I think comparing Marcus Simeon to Trevor Story is an insult to Marcus Simeon. So I thought, well, both of these guys signed or have been under contract for two years and hit free agency at the same time. Let's look at their overall numbers, right? So in two seasons with the Texas Rangers, Marcus Simeon, 323 games, 223 runs, 348 hits, 55 home runs, 183 RBIs. Trevor Story, 137 games. So in two seasons, Trevor Story hasn't played one season. Uh, I think comparing the numbers over the contracts would be pointless. I think overall comparing them is completely pointless because there is no comparison. Trevor Story has everything to prove at this moment, uh, whereas Marcus Simeon's continued to do what he does. So uh, I think this is the guy you believe in because Heim Bloom said so. Like, I mean, that's what else do you have? Like Heim Bloom said, Trevor story isn't as bad as you think he is. Like, what else does this give you? How else can you have faith in this guy? Cause like, how do you make this comparison? Cause he had six years before he came to Boston where he was one of the best players. He got MVP votes in three different years uh, while he was with the Rockies. So it's, yeah, he, he had, he got hit. He had a, he didn't have any spring training his first year. He had a really screwy introduction to the Red Sox. Started out slow, broke his hand in July or August. And then before the next year started, so he missed the rest of the year for the most part. And then he hurt his he hurt his uh, elbow. And then when he came back, he didn't get his timing back. It's just, I mean, that doesn't mean he doesn't have the skills anymore. Uh, he had one slow start, got hurt, and then he got hurt again. Uh, and it's not like, he got hit in the hand with a pitch and then had to get his elbow fixed. He's not like the hamstring pull guy. He's not the back spasms guy. So the comparison was they both play the same position. Story plays it a lot better. Well, they played the same position. They're both shortstop slash second baseman. And 
they have had really great years and really disappointing years. That was the comparison. And I admitted that the story has now had only disappointing years since he signed that contract. And if story signs that contract with the Yankees and pulls this, you are killing the guy. You're not going to say, well, I still think he could be good because he was good for another team. You'd be absolutely crushing the guy. Have some integrity about mm-hmm. it. At least I'd probably kill him, but I would know. I wouldn't say he's washed up. I would kill the contract. I would kill the signing. But I wouldn't say he's, oh, this is what he is now. He's got four more years left on his deal. He's, 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 he's a great fielder. He's really fast and he can hit. So it's like his shoulder, his elbow's fixed and he's going to have a whole off season to get better. And he's going to have a, a regular spring training for the first time since he's been in Boston. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he's all done. And he's going to have a whole bunch of more injuries coming this season. But let's get to the main event, the one everybody's here for, the one that we previewed last week. We had the contract signing, which resulted in us hitting each other with chairs and someone getting thrown, slammed through a table. Tristan Casas, Adalas Garcia. Um, I Look, I think this is just a complete stretch. I think Tristan Casas has the potential to be a good player. But to compare the two uh, just after a half a season – uh, I started looking at baseball reference because I wanted to pull some stuff up. And did you know through age 23, you know, I realized that Dallas Garcia hasn't, wasn't playing the major league baseball at age 23, but we can take some similar looks. Baseball reference, they'll say similar batters through age 23. Some of the batters pulled up in the top 10 were Ike Davis, Travis Lee, and Chris Davis to compare to Tristan Casas right off the bat. And Pat, please, I'd love for you to pull up baseball reference and fact check the stats I'm about to pull up. For If you pull up Tristan Casas' page, I'd like you to, to take a look and I'm going to give the stats. So everybody knows what I'm, the stats that I'm giving are fact checked here about Tristan Casas. Um, you know, his rookie season apparently was just the most amazing rookie season of all time. He's a future MVP. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Now just a future MVP candidate. So. Tristan Costas' rookie season, 101 games, 64 runs, 25 doubles, 24 home runs, 65 RBIs, only 62 strikeouts, 282, a slash line of 282, 388, and 599. Pat, am I wrong? Yeah. Oh, God, you're right. I am. No, you're right. You're right. I am. You're right. I am wrong. I'm sorry. I was looking at Bob Hamlin's rookie season numbers. (laughs) What a bit. Oh, a very well orchestrated route. Those are all better. Bit. Those are all better than Tristan Cassis's. All right. So, Bob, I'm sorry. Those were Bob Hamlin's rookie numbers that just happened to be better than Tristan Cassis's. So, all right, here, for real 137 games, 81 runs, 142 hits, 27 doubles, 24 home runs, 84 RBIs, slash 277, 352, 46. Oh, it's not Tristan Cassis again. Marty Cordova. So that's wonderful that Tristan Cassis had a half of the season. And I'm not saying he's going to be a washout. I'm not, say, I'm not saying he's going to be Bobby Dahlbach or Michael Chavez. But to compare him to a Dallas Garcia at this point in his career is just complete, completely absurd uh, insanity. Okay. I thought you were going to come with a lot more heat than that. So, all right. Uh, so this is going to be pretty easy. So, yes, they're different. Oh, pretty easy. So, I'm sorry. So are you comparing – you're defending Bob Hamlin? Are, wait, are we comparing Bob Hamlin to Dallas Garcia or Tristan Cass? It's just – I know I'll, there might have been some confusion there. Right after Casas, I'll defend Bob Hamlin, sure. So, Casas and Dallas Garcia, they're clearly very different players. They play different positions. Garcia is a really good right fielder. Casas has not been a good first baseman so far. 
Uh, but look, the comparison, they're both power hitters uh, who strike out a lot. And now this year, uh, Adolis Garcia walks a lot too because his plate discipline's gotten a lot better. And it's they have similar production, really. And if you look at the, the slash lines, you'll be really surprised. Like, look, Garcia became a superstar in 2023. You know, he was, uh, he had two great years, before, really good years before 2023. Uh, but I think we all agree he took the leap to being a superstar in 2023. Casas is a rookie that is on the rise. I, I you can't say he's a star yet. But I think he's on the rise to being a star, definitely with the potential of being a superstar, because you don't see that many rookies start out as good as him. You really don't. Like, yeah, there's the outliers, Bob Hamlet, Marty Cordova. You know, they both won Rookie of the Year. But you just you see the way the way Casas, his plate discipline, I think really sets him apart from so many rookies. And look, moments, singular moments are telling. Um, The clutch home runoff, Spencer Strider. Uh, a 410-foot bomb uh, to center field at Fenway. Um, an opposite field 435-foot home run off Logan Webb in San Francisco. To, to left center field, 435 feet off off Logan Webb. Uh, Logan Webb. Um, and in his rookie year, in 154 games, this counts the cup of coffee he spent in the majors last year too, he's already hit home runs off Garrett Cole, Kyle Bradish, Spencer Strider, Logan Webb, Luis Castillo, Two off of Max Scherzer in one game, and Chris Bassett. So I mean, he's he's definitely profiling like he's going to be a really good hitter. But to go beyond that, look, the, last season. So I I'm agreeing. Casas is not where Adolis Garcia is now. That he's trending towards that kind. He could very well be that kind of player this year, 2023. Casas had a higher average on base percentage. OPS and OPS plus than Garcia. And if you want to to get to get get your world rocked even more, look at their second half splits. Casas was way better than Garcia in the second half. Like his average was about a hundred points higher. He was just way more productive than Adolis Garcia in the second half of 2023. Feel free to look it up if you don't believe me. But uh, that was where my eyes really popped out. So Casas had a better second half. Garcia definitely had a better first half but for a rookie when your second half is so much better than your first half and that's really the last four months of the season uh that is uh that is a really encouraging sign because he obviously struggled in april and the beginning of may and then he figured it out he found his major league swing and i think uh this time next year you you won't be able to bring yourself to say it but you'll be looking back being like oh geez Tristan casas is you know he is a star, and he is right about at that level. As I pointed out a minute ago, you keep telling me how great his rookie season was, but I'm bringing out guys that nobody remembers who had very similar rookie seasons. So it's not anything special. It's not outstanding. Aaron Judge had an outstanding rookie season, like an all-time rookie season. Tristan Cassis did not have that. Uh, like, to me, like this is just a complete... Again, this is a complete stretch. I think you're just looking for anything you can kind of look for. And I'm not saying Tristan Cassis is going to be Bob Hamlin. Like, I'm sure he'll probably be better than Bob Hamlin. But I would say, like, trying to make this comparison. He did just it, say that, actually. Well, anyway, <laughs> what I am saying, and I'm going to go on record, and I can say, I will go down in history as saying this. I think this comparison that you're making is very true to your 
true to your character because it's premature. I think you prematurely came to that conclusion, and I think that speaks volumes about who you are. Uh, having to listen to that, and that's what made me snap last week. It was just, it was insulting to listen to, and I think anybody that heard it and really listened to it just became stupider because this is a guy that, again, it's his rookie season, half a rookie season. He played, and yeah, that's great that he had a good second half. Like maybe it was legit or maybe it was just because the Red Sox were in comp- in competition and he just saw nothing but fastballs. I mean, he saw more fastballs than Derek Jeter's ever seen. So, and that's why he was, so who was, who was hitting behind Tristan oh, yeah. oh, there you go. Now, now suddenly who doesn't like that one, huh? <laughs> he didn't have Gary Sheffield and Alex Rodriguez hitting behind him. He had William Abreu he had Trevor and Story. Christian Arroyo hitting behind him. Saw so many fastballs, so much protection, and just and there, and teams were just like, "Well, the Red Sox season's over. Let's just get out of here and throw nothing but fastballs." And that's all Tristan Castro saw. I want to see him hit a breaking ball. Like it's going to be Pedro Sereno out there. <laughs> you are undervaluing him. That's the problem. You are undervaluing him. And I think that I, I noticed you didn't have anything to say when I said uh, his average on base percentage OPS and OPS plus were better than Adolis Garcia's last year. A guy who hit 39 home runs and I think 107 RBIs. Uh, and was one of the is an elite power hitter in the major Tristan Casas plays in the most hitter friendly park in baseball. And anytime anyone on the Red Sox goes and plays for another team, their average automatically drops 30 points. So. The, like, there's the Fenway effect in those numbers. If you want to say Yankees, left-handed Yankee hitters hit way more home runs because they play in Yankee Stadium, I don't d- debate that. Like, yeah, that's part of what it is. Red Sox players that play 81 games in Fenway, because of that part, their averages are always way higher and often inflated. Much like left-handed power hitters in Yankee Stadium, any hitter in Fenway is going to have inflated numbers because they play in that part. So, again, like, let's just – Keep that in mind. Like, let's find out what, like, um, what is, in golf, what is it you have your handicap? Like, we should really figure out how to handicap averages in Fenway when having these discussions. I think it's like 282 to straightaway right in Fenway Park. It's 302 down the right field line. But, I mean, no, wait. No, not 282. Jesus. I think it's like 382 it's like to straightaway right. to left to straightaway so. right. It's listed as 302 down the right field line, but it's lefty. It's not that hitter friendly. It's not hitter friendly to lefties. If you can take it the other way, like Wade Boggs or whoever, then yeah, it is. But, you know, Casas will take it the other way occasionally, but he's mostly, his home runs are in Fenway are mostly bullpen over the bullpen. Okay. And so when the guy hits big, long home runs, like anytime I was like, wow, look at all these giant home runs. Aaron Judge hits a ball 450 feet. You're like, oh, 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 that's great. He hits a ball far. That says so much about him. But what does that mean? Oh, he hits it far. And then Tristan Cassis hits a ball 430 feet. You're like, he hit a ball 435 feet. He's a Dallas Garcia. I don't think I've ever said that when <laughs> Judge hits a ball far. <laughs> We have enough time to do this disappointment draft? No. We are going to wrap it up. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That was fun. Uh, I got caught up on the game I've been playing on my phone. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me something. To I felt like I was listening to the podcast. Do you want to <laughs> weigh in on this at all? I mean, all we've no, done I is do talk. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. 
Give us something. You haven't talked all. You have to have some kind of point you want to make right now that me and Luke won't comment on at all. You just get to say something. Listen. You've sat here for nothing all night. Come on, say something. Okay, here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. I will say that Tristan Casas is a very talented baseball player. I do not see him ever uh, being the character that Adelis Garcia is, right? And obviously that this is not, you guys have not been going back and forth about their personalities. But as I mentioned earlier, I think that is an essential part of superstardom. And I think Casas will uh, be quietly very good for a long time. Um, but I don't think he's going to be the World Series MVP um, because he's not going to crack that home run and, and watch it soar. And that's what everybody's going to want to see. And that's the guy that they're going to want to vote for for MVP. Um, so I, 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 to a certain extent, I understand the hitting comparison, um, but it is it is early to tell. I think we've seen he's he's played between his his cup of coffee and last year he's played basically a major league season now and um he's been pretty good. I you're totally right. Like he's hit well off of really good pitchers. He's figured it out. I am very interested to see what it is like when he has to come back um this next year um knowing what major league pitching looks like and as of right now, being the only first baseman on the roster, which I think um, means he's going to play a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, which could be a bad thing. Uh, well, I think, yeah. I mean, they were. He, I think he should have gotten more at bats against lefties last year, and uh, he did sit a lot, muscle him into that a little bit, but he still did really well in like 130 games or something like that. Did you see Killers of the Flower Moon yet? That. You didn't? I have not. I, I went instead I went to the movies today, but I saw Scarface because they were showing it for the fortieth anniversary. Oh really? I've yes. seen that. I wonder what kind of experience that is seeing it on the big screen. That's that's a it's one of those like I, I, I saw in high school and was like, This is freaking amazing. You see it as adult and you see it as like all right, it's so 80s up. Like, it's they really 80s the hell out of that. So it's, it's like, I mean, it's still a fun watch. My big takeaway was, you know, um, if I had all of that money and uh, all of those women and, and all of those drugs, I'd be Power. a lot happier than him. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he really, he he, <laughs> he couldn't take it. I gotta, I gotta, I'd be living the life, dude. I would not have a problem with that at all. Do you think they'd be able to convert Scarface into 3D? Because I think that would be a pretty cool experience. <laughs> just have the, well, yeah. Have your glasses just have, scene. like, the white the white residue, like, always. Like, that's a, that's a part of it. It's like you put the glasses on and you just see the white residue all over the glass. You wipe them off, they don't come off, then you realize, well, no, it's just the movie. There's just coke everywhere. But I, uh, I, saw, I saw Killers of the Flower Moon Sunday was excellent it was three and a half hours long it was excellent but i don't know that i can recommend it because it was the most depressing depressing three and a half hours i have ever spent in a movie theater and every time you feel like things are going to turn around and it's going to start getting a bit more upbeat it it twists on you again and it gets even more depressing (laughs) 
Yeah, I, uh, I, it's been a tough one to schedule in because three and a half hours is, is rough. Um, it's, it's hard to make time for that. And also we have like AMC A list, which is the like, you get to go as much as you want. You pay 25 bucks a month or whatever. But our AMCs are half an hour away. And so it's an hour round trip on top of the three and a half hour movie. So it is like a legitimately difficult thing to schedule. Yeah. Um, the one other thing I will say on this pod is I'll plug my uh, my piece on the website from the other day. I called it, I think, the Sports Documentary Sampler. 2023 has been a pretty good year for sports documentaries, and I just chose a couple. Um, one thing, thinking back on that piece, I don't think I made clear is that that Stephen Curry documentary is actually like pretty bad, <laughs> but I'm just recommending it to people who like him and like basketball. Um, but the other two, the other two on that list are are pretty good, and I would recommend them. What was bad about it? Like I said, at one point I wrote this in the piece. At one point they reference a play, and then they just show a completely different play, and <laughs> that's like I don't know how 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 did everybody miss that? You know, like I don't how did how many people watch that and went that's not what's happening on the screen at all. <laughs> um, that kind of stuff kind of got on my nerves. That's like a good plug. Like if more people hear that, I think people probably watch it. Just to be like, this must sound like a train wreck. I've got to see this one scene anyway. But uh, what I will say about your column is that Yogi Berra's niece has got a lot of nerve. A lot of nerve. (laughs) That's all I'll say. Um, And then the last one is, uh, that's the Yogi Berra one he's referencing. But then... um... The last one is a, it's a documentary called BS High. It's on HBO Max. It is very, very good about the the Bishop Sycamore uh, football team. Sounds amazing. For a school that did not exist. Um, it was one of the most repulsive things I've ever watched in my life. Um, and so uh, go check out the common go. Go check out those movies, depending on your, your interest in those subjects. Um, okay, folks, uh, two topics. Somehow we still reached the hour mark. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to have that fun draft next week. Uh, in the meantime, we'll have the midweek show. John's hosting this week. Uh, lots of fun stuff going on everywhere. You find Bleacher Brawls, TikTok, Twitter, BleacherBrawls.com, YouTube channel, all those places. You can find Bleacher Brawls, hit subscribe or follow or whatever the button is on each of those different apps. Uh, this podcast, you can read us five stars, leave us a nice review. Always appreciate that. That's a great way to help us out. Hit subscribe and uh, the episodes will just come straight to your phone. So as we have our kind of funky off-season schedule, um, every time we post, it'll go directly to your phone. And this is, you know, when breaking news hits, we're going to be there. Uh, we're waiting for it. We're ready for it. Uh, so we'll be there to cover it. Um, I think that's all we got. I'm going to log off. So thanks, folks, for listening. Thanks, folks. Thanks for being here with us uh, through the off season. Uh, my name is Pat for Luke and John signing off. We'll see you guys next time. Bob Hamlin was great. All right, folks, that's the latest episode of Bleacher Brawls. Thanks for tuning in, for rating us five stars and leaving us a nice review. And don't forget to check us out on BleacherBrawls.com, on YouTube, and on Twitter. <laughs>